TCU and BYU have familiarity from their time together in the WAC as well as the Mountain West Conference, but neither of them have been in the same conference for well over a decade at this point. The Horned Frogs are coming off a national title run. What do we need to know about them? Stephen Simcox stops by to talk all things TCU. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for making Locked On Cougars a part of your routine. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day, and thank you for being an everydayer to all of you out there who are our daily listeners slash viewers. As you'll see on YouTube, across me virtually is a good friend of mine, Stephen Simcox, host of Locked On TCU slash Locked On Horn Frogs. Stephen, what's up, my friend? Well, first of all, I love the intro music. Is that you strumming on the guitar? That's good stuff, Jake. I am not that talented. I will say that right off the top. I'm just glad that it was a bed music they allowed me to pick. That's what I went with. So, nonetheless, uh, big ups to you for taking the time to to join me on the show today, Stephen. Now, uh, some of our listeners, both on Locked On Cougars and Locked On Horn Frogs, our faces slash voices might sound familiar. We did the Locked On Big 12 roundtable for some time there, hoping that we can relaunch that at some point here in the near future. But I, I want to start with you today talking about the Horned Frogs. Obviously, that run to the national title last year, absolutely thrilling. I was uh, listening to your show and watching it almost daily in the lead up to that national title game. What has kind of been the, I guess, the after effect, the afterglow of that run to the national title for the Horned Frogs? Well, it's been good. I mean, honestly, like what could you do better in Sonny Dyke's first year? Um so I think overall, it's really positive. There's a lot of momentum around the program. People are interested in what's happening, recruiting. I wouldn't say they're – I think they're getting in the door with guys they wouldn't have – that wouldn't have given them the time of day in the past. I, it hasn't really necessarily um, affected them as far as landing players from the high school ranks. But the transfer portal, I mean, they they grabbed a couple guys from Alabama's roster this offseason they're excited about. Um, and, you know, there's just a, a – they got Kendall Bryles out of the SEC as an offensive coordinator. Um, so I think the the stock on TCU is up. The funny thing about it was the national title game was such a drumming, mm-hmm. and it was such a kind of lead balloon to end what was an improbable season uh, that I think for TCU players and fans – there's kind of like this, okay, we got there. Now, obviously, there's some work to do to compete at that level with a team like Georgia. And I feel like nationally, uh, unfortunately, even though they beat Michigan, the perception is still like, well, that was cool. You guys upset Michigan, but clearly, you know, you didn't necessarily deserve to be there. It wasn't a close game. Should maybe Alabama have been in the playoff or we've gotten a better national title game if that was the case? So there's some of their, those whispers there. But, I mean, overall, yeah, a ton of excitement. And I think people are just ready to get the season started. There's a lot of roster turnover. And now we kind of get to see, like, okay, in a weird way, Gary Patterson's tenure ended really poorly. But those were a lot of his players that they went to the national title game with. So what does Sonny Dykes do now with more of his guys? What do we see as we kind of progress further into – what this era of TCU football looks like. But 
um, yeah, people are people are ready for the season to start and to get going. Now, obviously, the, you mentioned the fact that Gary Patterson, a lot of those guys were holdovers for last year's squad that made mm-hmm. that run. Uh, it feels like to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, it feels like the offense got really depleted uh, after that run to the national title, whereas the defense, the guys returning on defense in particular, seemed to be largely intact. So I, I guess my question is, is there hope of TCU making another run in the Big 12 this season, even though they have essentially have to restock the offense? I think there is. I mean, you, you talked about the defense. There's a ton of continuity. They're basically bringing back all their safeties from last season. Uh, you have a few new corners in the mix. Your defensive line is largely intact as well. So um, year two under Joe Gillespie, you would hope that they take a step forward and play faster and play more sound on the defensive side of the ball. But, yeah, you're losing a lot of playmakers. I mean, Kendra Miller, the running back's gone. Quentin Johnson was a first-round pick. Max Duggan was a Heisman finalist. Uh, and I think probably the biggest thing, honestly, Jake, is that offensive line last year, those five guys, they had 75 starts between them. Nobody on that O-line missed a start all season long. Um, and so you got two of those guys returning, your tackles and Brandon Coleman uh, and, and Andrew Coker. But on the interior, Steve Avila it has left the All-American guard, um, Alan Ali, your center, and then your other guard, Wes Harris. So you're replacing the middle. And um, I think that if the offense doesn't work, it's going to be more about that than it will be the skill positions. But you do have to replace a lot of skill condition, skill position talent. But, yes, I, I would say among the fan base, like people are expecting um, a Big 12 championship appearance. I don't think that's what the media at large sees. Um, but among TCU folks, that's the expectation. Really, until, you know, they're proven wrong, they, they think Sonny Dykes can get them there. Now, I've seen over-under win totals for TCU hovering in that six, six and a half, seven win range, depending on which book you happen to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think they, if you, if they're, if fans expect them to make a run to the to the Big 12 title game once again, they're obviously going to exceed that. Are, are you of the opinion they can exceed that win total? Yeah, man, I think like seven and a half is the number I saw the other day. And to me, the over is like that's – I know Vegas is good, but that seems like pretty easy money in my mind. If you're talking about a team that goes from – they're returning a lot. I get it. But from national championship appearance to um, seven and five, that's a huge difference. And barring like uh, I did an episode yesterday actually about um, how I think they're going to roll Colorado in the opener. And by the way, if you ever need views, Jake, which I don't think you do because you got a good following, shake the coach prime hornet's nest because people are just on my tail in the comments still about how, you know, wrong I am about this. But, you know, the non-conference schedule, Colorado – um in SMU and then an FCS opponent that should be three wins so then you're talking about getting four wins in the Big 12 I think if if they end up that at that you know mark that's a pretty disappointing season so I feel like nine or ten wins um is probably the most realistic option but I definitely think they're getting over you know seven or eight I feel like that's the floor for this team if that happens that means some things have gone wrong and some expectations I have uh, have missed pretty badly. Now, Max Duggan obviously was the breakout star last year at quarterback, but uh, many many might recall if they don't, uh, they, he did not win the starting quarterback job going into the season. That was Chandler Morris, who is expected to be the starter this year. Has he done anything to make you think that he will not be the number one QB this fall? No, I don't think so. So they brought in, it's interesting, they brought in Chance Nolan in the portal a few weeks ago. And he had a really good season at Oregon State a few years back, like three for over 4,000 yards, 
started basically every game for the Beavers. And his godmother actually commented on my YouTube channel because I was like, I think this is just a depth piece. And she was like, no, you don't understand. Like Chance Nolan, they're telling him that he has a chance. But I've – no pun intended. But I feel like if if Morris loses the job, then he had a really bad fall camp and Nolan just like blew it out of the water. I think that's the only possibility. But I would say at this point, I'm like 98% sure that Chandler Morris is going to be the guy going into week one. And it'll be funny to see what his mentality is. Like he won the job, as you said, last year. He got hurt and then Max just didn't didn't let him have it back. And Max is such a funny dude because he had his flaws, but he almost became like a mythical figure to TCU fans because he was just so tough and had all the intangibles. And, you know, you saw the the shots of him like doubled over on the field. Mm-hmm. He was just always leaving it, leaving it out there. Um, so some big shoes to fill for him, but I expect him to be the starter. And I think he'll do well. The reports were that he was like, he's a more polished quarterback than Max in a lot of areas. It was just simply that Max was such a gamer that they couldn't take him off the field. So um, I feel like he'll be motivated and he's in store for a good season. Now, I, I, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is Sonny Dykes, obviously. Uh, some BYU fans out there what, we have familiarity with him from his run at Cal. Mm-hmm. To me, and this is just my outside perception, he seems so much more at home being there in Texas at TCU. I know he's only been there for a year, but this is a guy, his his dad, Spike Dykes, obviously a legend at Texas Tech. He seems just so much uh, like a, a fish to water when he's in the Lone Star State. Am I wrong in that assessment? He loves it. Um, and, you know, the funny thing about Sonny is I, I feel like he's done a really good job of learning from that Cal tenure. And mm-hmm. I honestly don't even think the Cal tenure was that horrible. You know, they were one in 11 his first year, and then they made a bowl game in year two. I think five and seven his last season, and they sort of mutually decided, like, hey, let's part ways. But he was a true air raid guy then, um, and he still has those roots. But I think he's committed now more to running the football, being a more physical football team. Uh, making sure that he has a defense that can at least function and play at a high level. And the TCU job is one that – so he was an analyst uh, back in 2017 for one season. Um, and I feel like it opened his eyes to, okay, there's a lot of possibilities here. You're in a good location for recruiting. This is a school that wants to be good at athletics, that wants to invest in athletics. And then when he went to SMU, they beat TCU two years in a row – and they were like about it. Like they were, they beat them and they told them that they beat them. And I think Sonny made a point to win that game because he wanted this job ultimately. Like he wanted to be here in Fort Worth and that's what he thought his next step would be. And so um, I think it's been a great fit again. Like it's going to be really tough to follow up what he did in year one. And it'll be kind of fascinating to see what happens if, and when they hit some true adversity this year, because they didn't really do that until, like the Big 12 championship game mm-hmm. last season. Um, so how do you respond if you lose a game you're not supposed to or if you just lose a dumb game that kind of didn't go your way? Those will be things I'll be watching. But as far as, like, is he at home? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to go as far as to say he would never not take another job. Uh, but I think he's pretty content with with where he's at at the moment. 
All right. Uh, in true crossover fashions, we're doing on the podcast here. I'm going to flip the script and let Stephen pepper me with questions about BYU. We'll get to all of that in just a moment, but first need to get a word in on our friends over at built bar. And Steven, I know you're a big fan of built bar yourself. Oh, yeah. uh, that's the best part about these things. Is they're absolutely incredible. You will not believe how good they taste versus how uh, just healthy they are for you. The macros on these things, 130 calories, four grams of sugar and a whopping 17 grams of protein. Uh, Steven, I know I've told you about this in the past. Have I showed you the, the, Cougar tail specific one that BYU has. Oh no, that's oh, wonderful. Look at that. So they, they did a team wide NIL deal for BYU football mm-hmm. with those. Uh, so the best part is if you're a Cougar fan, or even if you're a TCU Horned Frog fan, you can support all student athletes. They're actually continuing to branch out. They're trying to get into more universities outside of BYU with NIL deals where they do them team wide, by the way, it's a really cool concept that built's done. So if you want to support that venture, get to built.com right now, place your order there, use the promo code locked on 15 for 15% off your order. That's L O C K E D O N one five for 15% off your order or or if you need your built bars right away, uh, here locally in Utah, you can stop by your local Smith, Sam's Club, or Costco. I've seen them at all those retailers. Steven, do you know where they're located down there in Texas by chance? Yes, yeah, Sam's Club and then Walmart in the pharmacy section is where you need to go if you're in the Texas area. Well, there you go. They're available everywhere, my friends. Once again, that's built.com or stop by your local retailer today, your local grocer, and pick them up today. That's Built Bar, the best tasting protein bars ever. Thank you once again okay. for making locked in. Oh, excuse me, Stephen. Uh, thanks for you got it. You got it. Your first time listen uh, right here on the podcast. Uh, just a quick uh, reminder for you guys: if you've not done so already, make sure to follow Locked On Cougars wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube, also Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Same thing with Stephen. Uh, Stephen, where can they find your show? Yeah, at Locked On TCU is a show Twitter account. I'm at Simcock Stephen, as you can see in the graphic here. If you're watching on YouTube. Um, and that's it. That's it. Follow us on and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Locked on Horn Frogs. Absolutely. All right, Stephen, what do you got for me from the TCU perspective? Right. So turning our attention to BYU, um, this transition, I remember TCU making this change to the Big 12 about a decade ago, and there definitely was a learning curve. I want to get your perspective, though, because I feel like obviously BYU plays Power 5 opponents every single year. They've been in a conference before. How big of a step up will this be from like a weekly kind of grind perspective as opposed to how they typically schedule in a given season? So BYU has tried to schedule as strong of a schedule as they could have in the last three or four years. I've, they've played what I've called a Power 5 adjacent schedule. And what I mean by that is they've scheduled between six and eight Power 5 opponents in the past two to three seasons. It sands the 2020 season. That one obviously got screwed up due to the pandemic. But they have tried to make their schedules as beefy as they possibly can with the thought of gearing up for this jump. I, I still say, I still maintain this with all my listeners slash viewers if, if they've heard me say this i think this is the biggest jump byu football's ever made and i'm not being facetious about this this is the biggest level of football they will have ever competed at they've competed favorably when they've been in other conferences but this is the big boy table this is what byu went independent for those uh, 13 years ago now they went independent with the goal of getting to this level to be a, a power five opponent and they've done their best to obviously try and upgrade their facilities the support staff the resources being afforded to their student athletes but Steven, I, I, I'll say this also. I don't. I think there's these certain things BYU uh, doesn't know they need to know until they're actually in the middle of the grind that is going to be the Power 5 level. Keaton Slovis, interesting situation here. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, Jake, that he was like the guy that people were seeking out in the transfer portal, goes to Pitt, has 
a okay season. I wouldn't say it was amazing, but it was productive. Um, what are expectations for him? I, I saw, you know, just reading online, it looks like he's the unquestioned starter for BYU. What are expectations as he comes over to quarterback the Cougars this year? Yeah, Aaron Roderick, the offensive coordinator, the final day of spring ball said, I'm, let me make it very clear for you guys. Keaton Slovis is our starter. And I was like, oh, okay, well, there you go. We, <laughs> we have our answer on that front. And I was not unexpected. He is the, he was the guy at the helm of the BYU offense all spring practice, all, all spring camp long, I should say. The biggest thing for him, though, is going to be if, if he can get returned to the form that he showed previously. You remember back to when he was a freshman at USC and he was that dark horse Heisman contender type player. He was throwing the ball all over the place. BYU believes they can get him back to that level and the other thing about this he was on my podcast we had a chance to catch up with him at the tail end of spring ball i had a one-on-one with him and the interesting part about this steven is he told me straight to my face this is the first opportunity in my collegiate career that i will actually be playing for the offensive coordinator that i committed to play for if you remember back when he was going to usc uh they had graham harrell came in to replace cliff kingsbury after what was a three-week essential uh essentially he had, I mean, three weeks maybe a little bit more than that but he had graham harrell eventually become his oc versus cliff kingsbury who he planned on playing for he makes the move to pit they had mark whipple who had made uh multiple nfl type quarterbacks with a passing offense well as soon as he commits to Pitt, they switched the offensive coordinator. Mark Whipple ended up in Nebraska. So he is excited finally, as he as he stated, to have an offensive coordinator, speaking of Aaron Roderick, who, who, who he will actually play for this season. And BYU hopes that he can regain some of the form he showed at USC. So defensively, uh, they go grab Jay Hill, who was the head coach at Weber State. Am I correct? In, correct, in yeah. That? Okay. So coming from a head coaching position to the D.C., um, what kind of scheme does he run? What kind of players is he looking to bring uh, to this BYU defense? He runs uh, – so he's from the Kyle Whittingham coaching tree, same with Kalani Satake and Aaron Roderick. Funny, the brain trust that is running BYU is all uh, Utah guys that worked under Kyle Whittingham. And Jay is a devotee of what Kyle Whittingham has run on defense. It's kind of a hybrid 4-3 scheme. You'll see it morph into a 4-2-5 a lot of the time out there when it comes to facing spread offenses. But the whole idea of it is, is generating pressure with your front four. Your defensive line has to be able to get pressure on the opposing quarterback. Now, let me also acknowledge – the last five or six years for BYU on defense, they have struggled mightily to get pressure on the quarterback. So they went to the transfer portal, brought in some guys from Boise State and Isaiah Banya and Jackson Cravens with the hope that those guys might be able to beef up the pass rush a little bit. But the biggest thing is going to be how much improvement they can get along that defensive front from BYU this season. I'm not expecting it to be just absolutely a, a starring role for that D-line, but any production that they get this year might be better than what they've shown the last three or four. Going back to the offense for a second, so new QB, also a lot of turnover at that wide receiver position, or at least losing a lot of production. Uh, did anyone catch your eye in spring practice, Jake, or you hear from the coaching staff, like this could be the guy that emerges as that main pass catcher this season? Well, so there's a guy actually down from your guys' neck of the woods that is probably going to be BYU's top dog this year. It's Keanu Hill. He went to Euless mm -hmm. Trinity High School uh, down there in Euless, Texas, before coming to BYU. Uh, funny enough, his dad is Lloyd Hill, obviously the former Texas Tech star, and Roy Williams uh, from the University of Texas, of, of the University nice. of Texas fame, is his uncle. So he's got great, great bloodlines in terms of just uh, overall athleticism. But he was kind of the unsung hero last year for BYU at wide receiver. He led them in passing yards, and excuse me, 
receiving yards and uh, led them also in touchdown receptions, but kind of got overlooked with Puka Nakua as the star who just recently got drafted in the NFL draft. I'm expecting that Keanu Hill takes another step forward this year and really becomes that number one guy for BYU, but they know that they are very thin at wide receiver and they have uh, offered upwards of 10 different guys in this transfer portal cycle, this spring portal with the idea of bringing in multiple bodies at that wide receiver position. The nice part is outside of Hill, they still have Chase Roberts and, and Cody Epps who are very good wide receivers, but need to prove they can stay healthy for an entire season. So their top three look pretty good at wide receiver. The question is beyond that, what will they have? They recently got Darius Lassiter in terms of a commitment out of Eastern Michigan via the transfer portal. And I would expect maybe one to two more guys before all is said and done to be added to that position group. What's your feel for the pulse on Kalani Sataki at this point? I mean, I know last year they, they end up winning that bowl game, get to eight wins. Is there any restlessness? Is there any pressure? Are people still, you know, kind of full go on this era of BYU football? The thing about Kalani is he is a guy that grew up a BYU fan, lived the dream playing for his idol. Speaking of Lavelle Edwards at BYU as a team captain, his whole goal in getting into coaching essentially was to take this job. He believes BYU is the end-all be-all for him as a head coach, and that has endeared him to many Cougar fans. Yes, there have been struggles along the way. They missed out on a bowl game for the first time, and uh, it was more than a decade in 2017 in his second year at the helm of BYU's program and that caused a lot of people to be like okay is this really the dude that can lead us forward but he recovered nicely has had some pretty good seasons with some good quarterback play. I, I think the Big 12 leap is going to give him a little bit of a reprieve from any type of pressure, it feels like to me, because BYU fans know that they're stepping into the, the a new era of football for their program that it's unprecedented for BYU. Mm -hmm. So I think that he is the guy that is the perfect fit for BYU right now. He, he just fits everything that BYU is all about. He embraces all the challenges that come from being at a religiously affiliated university, maybe the most notable in terms of of religious affiliation because of the honor code that BYU has all the students have to live the academic requirements and just the overall fit of what BYU football is all about. So I'm not sure you can find a better fit for BYU right now than Kalani Satake. So uh, BYU's coming to Fort Worth this year in football, but for my listeners, when they make the trip out to Provo, I want to get out there for a baseball series. I've seen the, the mountain skates behind the stadium I tweeted about this, and some BYU people were very kind. They said they would buy me some ice cream when sure. I came out there. That's like the equivalent of buying someone a beer in Provo, which I appreciate. Uh, and I'm saving. I saved those tweets. So if you're out there, I'm gonna I'm gonna make good on that that promise that you made me. But places to eat, Jake. If you give me one or two, when these TCU fans make the trip to Provo, you know somewhere to eat, maybe something they can't miss from the great city that BYU resides in. Yeah, I, I've got three for you on this. So okay, one, I, I, I know that y'all are Texans and you y'all mm -hmm. love your barbecue. And trust me, Texas barbecue is the best in the in the country. I'm not saying that just to say it on this podcast. I believe it's truly the best in the entire world. There is a barbecue place here in Utah that is a central Texas barbecue joint called Bam Bam's Barbecue. Uh, Bam mm -hmm. Bam, the owner, Cameron Treyu is what his real name is. He goes by Bam Bam. He was trained in Texas. This guy knows what he's doing. And I would encourage you. I know that it sounds almost sacrilegious 
sacrilegious to, to suggest to a Texan to come to Utah and try Texas barbecue, but I would encourage you to give it a shot. It's a stone's throw away from BYU and the campus, and it's just the next city over in Orem where I grew up. I think it's fantastic. It, it, it rates right up there amongst the best barbecue I've ever had, and I, I'm telling you, Texans need to give that one a shot. The other thing that's kind of unique to Utah, it's kind of a homegrown product, is a place called J-Dogs. It's very simple. I know that a lot of uh, Texas is starting to see in and out kind of invade down there yeah. in the Lone Star State. Well, J-Dogs kind of took that same idea, but it does this with hot dogs. They offer two different types of hot dogs. They All offer right. You can get whatever chips you want with it and whatever drink you want, but it's the simplicity of it. It's absolutely awesome. It's worth checking out. There are uh, locations all over the Wasatch Front here in the Salt Lake Provo Metroplex area. So if you want to stop by that. But then in terms of in-stadium, I already talked about it when we talked about Built Bar, the Cougar Tail. It's unique. It's an 18-inch long, so a foot-and-a-half-long maple bar donut. You got to give it a shot. I would encourage you. I cannot finish one myself. I have to share it between two or three people, really, mm -hmm. if I'm going to have one. But is absolutely, you cannot miss it when you come to Provo. And obviously, uh, Cougar fans will hook you up with the ice cream. The best part is the BYU Alumni so Association actually goes and hands it out to opposing fans during the middle of the game. So you'll get it for free if you come out. Wow, that's amazing. I am, uh, yeah, I'm interested in the donut. That sounds like a couple minutes of my life that I could take away. <laughs> And it, I'm always it, down. I'm always down for food that does that. It'll, 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 yeah, it'll carve maybe an hour off of your your lifespan, but yeah, it's it's yeah, worth okay. trying. Well, good stuff. Thank you, Jake. That's our kind of for our TCU fans. That's our BYU preview going into the season. Jake, how do you want to wrap things up here on our lockdown crossover? I've got one other question. I meant to ask you this earlier, and we'll wrap it up here. Uh, I, I mentioned in the open of today's show that BYU and TCU have familiarity with one another from, from time spent in the WAC together for a short period, and obviously uh, for a longer time in the Mountain West. Uh, does, does Do TCU fans still remember uh, BYU? Because I know BYU fans remember TCU. Trust me. I, yeah. I, I, you'll see it in the comments on this show that it'll pop up. But do TCU fans still hold the same type of uh, vitriol and disdain they once had for BYU? I mean, they definitely do. I wouldn't say it's going to be like the main rival when they when they jump in, um, but definitely for alums that have been out of school for you know ten plus years, those BYU and Utah battles back in the day were were big deals, and people still talk about the big games from that era um, and talk about the Mountain West with fondness. Because honestly, I mean, really until last year, 2014, 2015, uh, the Big Twelve like. It was a slog. Like it was kind of hard, you know, you're sort of like middle of the pack in the big 12. Um, when they're in the mountain West, they were kind of one of the top dogs for sure. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's some juice there. I, I'll be interested to see like this kind of happened with Baylor. So Baylor and TCU have a long rivalry, but it was pretty one-sided in TCU's favor for a long time because they got left out of the big 12. And so they always had that vitriol for Baylor, but Baylor didn't really think about TCU much anymore. Um, but then as soon as they joined the Big 12, they immediately had some like great games. And then it was like, OK, this thing's back on fire. So I imagine, you know, in Fort Worth, in Pro for the next few years, if we have some close battles, which I imagine we will, uh, then that rivalry is going to get juiced up again. And I'm excited for the new Big 12. Um, you know, I love I love beating Texas more than anybody else just because their fans are the worst. Um, but. Texas and OU leaving and everybody else wanting to be here and being excited about the product moving forward, I think is really good for the future of the league. And I know BYU um, is one of those great institutions that is going to come in with a lot of energy and, and a great program. So it should be fun to see those battles again. 
Now, for those Cougar fans that are going to be down there in Fort Worth on October 14th, is there a place that you would uh, say that they cannot miss down there in Fort Worth? Man, I'm pretty vanilla, so I'll throw this to the YouTube comments as well. People chime in and, and give some recommendations, but there's a joint right next to campus that I love called Dutch's Burgers. It's named after the famous TCU coach, Duck, Dutch Meyer, excuse me. Um, and so you'll get a great burger there, um, you know, big portions. They have handmade buns, which are fantastic. And then there's there's a lot of great barbecue places, and I think if you poll people from DFW, they, they'll name four or five. But Heim is 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 my spot. Heim Barbecue, TCU alum owns it. They have locations in Fort Worth and in Dallas. So make sure you hit that up. Um, and then, you know, if you're in Fort Worth for the first time, Stockyards are great. Downtown area is fantastic. Obviously, it's a huge city, so there's plenty of, you know, yeah. nightlife options as well. Um, but, yeah, Dutch's Burgers and Heim Barbecue are the two places that I would say make sure you stop in and, and get a meal on your trip to Fort Worth. All right, Stephen, where can everybody find your work and where can they find the podcast? Yeah, so subscribe to the YouTube channel, Locked On Horn Frogs. We're on Twitter. The show is at Locked On TCU. I'm at Simcock Steven, and you can catch it, you know, anywhere you get your uh, audio podcast as well. And Jake, we're on the SiriusXM app now. So, right. hey, that's cool. That's a cool thing. Yeah, it's actually a really, really cool new feature that, yeah, we are featured on the SiriusXM app. You'll probably hear our voices more prominently on SiriusXM Big 12 uh, channel as well. So looking forward to that. But a big thank you to all of you for tuning in. Make sure you check out Locked On Cougars wherever you get your podcasts. Also check it out on YouTube and subscribe to the show. Thank you for making us your first listen today, both here on Locked On Horn Frogs and Locked On Cougars. And thank you for being an everydayer with us. We'll catch you guys again soon.